I'm Jay Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Base Code Podcast. Hello there. Hello. How you doing? Good. How about you? Good. Why are you talking like that? Because <laughs> you're like super smiley, so I'm, I'm, I thought there was something going on. Oh, no, no. I'm just, it's fun podcasting. <laughs> All right. I'm not buying it. All right. Yeah, fair we'll, enough. We'll get into it. Well, I do have some relevant news, which is that I have now officially watched all of the Marvel Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Oh, man. Nice. So, like, for listeners that remember back, you know, my robot guy stuff when I'd only seen, like, one Iron Man Phew. thing and, like, didn't understand any of the rest of them, I've now Podcast seen Podcast almost everything. ended then. Yeah. <laughs> it almost ended when you said robot guy. I was like, really? So, yeah, I've now seen... I haven't seen all the TV shows yet, but I've seen all of the, the movies in the MCU. I haven't seen the Disney Plus stuff yet either, because it was like... They were coming out right when Izzy was born. And yeah. Speaking of which, like, we just thought we'd have all this time, because, like, oh, it's just downtime. We're both off. No. Uh-huh. You're raising a tiny human is what you're doing now. You're not off of anything. Not yep. for 20 years. <laughs> so, did you like them? I know you were kind of saying in-game was, you know... You weren't ready for it a while back. Yeah, like, like when I I tried to give it a go after not watching anything else, I just didn't understand that there was just characters being thrown sure. at me. I didn't get what was happening. But now that I've watched all of them and I can see the like story arcs between them and the way they're all connected mm-hmm. and all that, it was freaking awesome. So I probably watched the Infinity War four or five times when it yeah like not necessarily on purpose but i was traveling a lot and it okay. it kept being like the in-flight movie and i was mm-hmm. just screw it i just kind of skipped around <laughs> to the parts that i liked fair enough but yeah i, I probably watched it like several times that's that's really good I, yeah like beginning to end i thought was really good i'm really glad that i finally gave it like a proper go and have now found something else that i can get enjoyment out of so yeah they're good anyway they're really good well, speaking of, of end game and, and so forth, uh, this will probably be the last podcast of this little workbench desktop uh, mini series that we yeah. like to do. So we'll take a break after this for a little while. But yeah, I thought we kind of reached out on the last one and said, hey, what pieces are we missing? What else do you want to hear about as far as the workbench is concerned? So people were asking kind of about the development process and the repo and like where the different pieces live, like kind of managing the different code bases Mm -hmm. and deployment and stuff like that. So I thought that'd be a good, well-rounded ending episode to kind of, again, round things out. Yeah, sounds good. So where should we start? Probably, I guess, with the dev process. So let's talk about dev and then we'll end with deployment. Okay. So I guess like the important thing to start with is when we started building the Electron app, we already had the cloud-based version of it. And the other important thing to note is that the cloud-based version is kind of a UI. All of the actual handling of, you know, running the tasks is all deferred to the shift code base. Yeah. So you've kind of got like, yeah, this little shift code base that's behind the scenes that actually does all of the hard work. And then you've got UI. So you've got like the LaravelShift.com website and now you've got the Electron app. And both of those call underlying shift tasks. Yeah. So we were already dealing with separation in the code base between kind of front end, not necessarily front end as far as like Vue or Alpine JS or any of that kind of stuff. Front end as in like the website. Yep. And then you kind of had the shift engine. So these were already separated and now we've kind of added a third 
or a second front end, but a third code base of the Electron app. Yeah. So with the cloud version, I don't actually know this, but I'm assuming that when they when someone runs a build, a job is dispatched to the queue via the Laravel website. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. that the shift runners consume that same queue and can run the, the yeah. tasks from it. So it's like a shared queue between two apps, right? Yeah, a perform build job is put on the queue and then one of the workers will pick it up. So that's kind of cool because I think a lot of, I mean, for me, my experience with queues is the application that dispatches the job is also the same one that picks up and runs the job. It's like all Mm. in the same repo, the same application. Whereas in this case, you've got like one application dispatching it and another that's consuming it. Laravel still consumes it, but then it kicks it off into a sub-process. Okay. But yeah, because of that, though, I've always thought, man, it'd be cool if like Laravel had like a smaller queue worker footprint, like instead of having to upload the entire application, like it'd be cool if, you know, I don't know, there was a a smaller, it it always felt so heavy to me for those reasons. But to your point, I had to remember, I'm actually more of the exception where like, I'm running it with a completely separate program, like... Yeah. You know, most people just send it right back to the app and then a different part of the app picks it up. But Yeah. I guess like in a more traditional kind of message queuing system. Yeah, exactly. You dispatch a job to a queue and someone else can listen to it, subscribe for it and get all the payload they need from it. And it doesn't even have to be written in the same programming language or anything. Yeah. There's all sorts of levels that are on the spectrum there. So like probably not the most common use case, but yeah, definitely not the most extreme where, yeah, you're passing it off to like a completely separate system. Yeah. So with the Workbench though, like the Workbench desktop app, we're not dispatching it to a queue or anything like that. It's all handled within the Electron app, like within its little background process. Yeah. It kind of, you know, shells out and calls, like everything's wrapped inside Docker. So it calls the Docker command, ends up running the same code under the hood, but the mechanism for how it gets fired is different. Yeah, so for the Electron app, like it is a separate code base because it's a separate front end. And then, of course, the, the handoff or the queuing, if you will, is handled in Node, you know, this background JS process like we talked about inside of Electron. And instead of having a worker that it kind of dispatches to a queue, it more or less dispatches to Docker, which yeah. has, you know, that same kind of shift engine code base packaged up inside of it you know, the pieces it needs. It's not necessarily like the entire code base. Yeah, just the workbench. It's kind of the workbench side of the code base and then it will will run those tasks. Yeah, and so it, like once it dispatches that, it's just waiting for that process to like spit out output and to eventually, you know, return an exit code, right? Yeah, yeah. The background JS stuff acts kind of like the queue manager. Like it, it'll manage that process inside of Docker and kind of read and listen for its output and read for when it's done and things like that yeah and then you've got the the background process will like return json right so like you know in the node um, background process we can parse that json to pull out information to show in the build log yeah we kind of made like a special runner Um, that was the one difference like a lot of times everything goes through like this main.php that's kind of like the old school app entry point right like main.c or whatever right yeah. So like instead of having main.php, which is like where most of the shifts and stuff go through, we made like a workbench.php just so it could have a little, you know, it gave it a little more coupling, but it was nicer because you get cleaner output like 
we can kind of output buffer stuff into JSON so it's more easily readable and therefore we could get that kind of cool console green checkboxes and time ran and all that stuff a lot easier instead of just kind of that dense text log that I've shown, you know, yeah. in talks before and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like a little adapter that exactly them together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's still running shift all in the same ways pretty much, but it's just kind of like managing that output and sending some signals back to background JS that help us provide that cleaner UI. Yeah, and the original shift code base, like it's designed to submit a PR with like comments and atomic commits and all this sort of stuff. Whereas when it runs via the workbench, it's operating on, on your machine. So it doesn't need to create commits and it's got to push its comment info out via the workbench UI instead of via GitHub as the UI. Yeah, that was kind of, for me, that was a kind of a tough piece to let go of at first because it does kind of limit that experience or in my opinion, lessen that experience. But, you know, we've talked about this a couple times already, like that one click is really what we're going for. And if you have this one click task, then you don't, you know, everything's already kind of grouped up anyways. You don't have to worry about making like that clean atomic commit because you're just running one task and then you're able to view the output and see the changes yourself. And that's a fine experience for that kind of one-to-one -one relationship. I yeah. still, you know, if editor mode becomes more popular or something, like maybe there's a preference that in editor mode you can have it make commits if it detects, you know, a Git repo and stuff like that. That's the other side. Like while I hope everyone is using Git or at least some version control, you may not be. So... Yeah. can't necessarily rely even on the fact that we could make atomic commits for you yeah i guess so. the difference with like with like a laravel shift is it's running a bunch of different tasks that are all combined into one shift yeah whereas on the workbench at least for the one click stuff it's that little discrete chunks yeah that was an interesting piece to kind of let go of that drove us to that well let's just do one click then it's just one task yeah Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to chat about on that? Or do you want to move on to like building the app and deploying it and stuff? I think the only other piece that's probably worth mentioning is, I guess, the extra bit of communication we had to build in to make sure everything's kind of in sync as far as the tasks go. Mm -hmm. So the code bases are separate again because you're dealing with a completely different tech node in this case. And even the UI pieces of the workbench are completely different because they're Vue. We haven't used Vue really in the .com but we do use it in the Electron desktop yeah. app. So yep. even though those are real similar, you know, it's okay to make them separate and, and kind of have those in a separate repo and a separate code base. Now, what isn't different and what we needed to connect are the tasks. So we just built a little JSON endpoint, a little API endpoint that returns JSON. And then when we build the Electron application, it hits that to download the latest tasks that then get kind of rendered and looped over by Vue. Yeah, like all the definitions, like the name of the task, yeah. the description, the code samples. And the all data that sort of stuff. was really the only thing that needed to truly be shared between them. Like we don't want to rewrite or recreate those in any kind of way for the Electron app. Like they're all the same as the cloud workbench. So yeah, just a quick little API endpoint, return the JSON, pre-render the code snippets, boom. Yeah. One of the fun things about that was with the like with the one click running or the like, you know, not doing editor mode. For the tasks that do have configuration options, some of them are like a select box drop down. Some of them you're typing something in. Others are a checkbox. Yeah. So I built this like really tiny schema parser. So all the options that are available for a task, it loops through them and goes, okay, this is a checkbox. Like this is a Boolean option. So I'll show a checkbox. 
this one's got three options available. So I'll show a select box or this one's a text input, show that. So it dynamically yeah. shows that task configuration form depending on what's in the, the task definition, which is pretty cool. And most of those options were already there, but I I guess on... Well, they're, already, they're configured via YAML instead. Yeah, since the .com is not a one-click. Yeah, that was the catch. Yeah. And we did go back after launching the desktop app and make just some kind of UI feature parity things like adding those hover states for the single click paste and code formatting or code styling. Yeah. And we added like those tags to categorize what, what a particular task was, whether it was a Laravel yeah. task or a PHP yeah. and made them searchable, all that sort of stuff. That was when we built the, the desktop UI, we did get that chance to revisit it and polish it a bit. So yeah. going back and yeah, as you say, creating that parity was pretty important. So there, there is some double work is the point because the code's separate oh, yeah. and a different tech, but we've tried to mitigate that where we can by, again, leveraging maybe some more pieces of tech like API endpoints and NPM tasks and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So as far as the build, this definitely was another piece I underestimated towards the end that made the project take longer. I didn't realize that you actually had to go through Apple to deploy the application. I thought it was kind of this ad hoc build is kind of what they call it inside of, of Mac development. And I thought you could just distribute that outside of the App Store. Like a DMG file that you download and open and drag it in and all that. Yeah, and you still you can still generate the DMG, but the problem is you're going to be hit by like this isn't code signed, Apple doesn't approve it, and like you don't even yeah. get the chance to install the DMG. Like you have to go open your security preferences, do like open anyway, then open it again. And yeah. it, it they really kill that. So, you know, I basically had to sign up to be an Apple to developer. Uh, you know, you pay the pay the toll uh to do that for a yeah. year. You know, then as part of your build process, it sends off your code to Apple to, I guess, be analyzed and code signed. And then it gives you back, you know, kind of the DMG. And then those get uploaded to S3 where they can be downloaded from the website and therefore installed on your machine. So it sounds easy once you get past all of those steps, but it's really, really <laughs> intricate actually. And and there are some scripts and, and Marcel and Frake shared some of their tweaks with me that helped and then, of course, code signing was kind of its own annoyance because it's not only you have to sign up, but then you have to like develop these provisioning profiles is what they call it. So those are code signed to your machine. And then so now if I want to build it on you know, my iMac versus my laptop, like you actually have to pay attention to stuff like that. So it's, it's just really annoying. Yeah, right. And was there anything similar for Windows? No. Uh, I mean, they do have like that signed um, application bit, but... I kind of asked around and no one's really doing it. Okay. So like, I just couldn't find a lot of good resources on it and I don't have access to like Windows anyway. I mean, I, I could get access, yeah. of course, if I if I needed it, but I haven't really, I, I think one user maybe sent something back where they had to like do that extra click where they had to say, oh yeah, LaravelShift.com, like that's a trusted source and okay. and install anyway kind of thing yeah so I, theoretically if we code signed it like they wouldn't have had that extra kind of warning so to speak yeah right and so once everything's like configured 
you just run like npm electron colon build, right? And I think you specify the platforms. Right now we run publish all, but yeah, there are, you could run like publish Mac, publish win, publish Linux. If you wanted to just do like a one-off publication, like if we knew there was an issue with the Mac only, we could rebuild them. But it kind of leads us to another piece of the application is like those in-app updates. You know, you really need to trigger a new version number to make someone get that. So that becomes an issue. And I've made that mistake a few times now where like, you know, maybe I forgot to bump the version number and I pushed out the DMG. And now you actually have to roll like two versions to kind of get, make sure everyone's safe, right? So, yeah. So that in-app update stuff is really, really cool. And and that's more or less built into Electron. Like we kind of tweaked the UI paths of that to kind of have release notes and stuff like that. But the under the underpinnings to check wherever you publish your application downloads to, it can go check there and read from a YAML file that it publishes with all the different version numbers and see, is the current version they're running different than the one out there? Yes, it is. Okay, trigger them to update and go ahead and download it. Yeah, and we can like, we get events when those things happen. So then we can trigger our own modals like that we've made in view, like you say, with the release notes. Yeah. So we get events when there's an update. And then if they click like the install button versus the not now, we can choose to fire off like download and install or not now. Yeah. When they click not now, like we've got to save to like the local preferences, the version that they said not now to. Yeah. So that we can not like pester them for that every time. But then when a new version comes out, we'll uh, we'll let them know. So yeah. There's all like little intricacies in there that, as you said, it, it definitely pushed out things at the end. Yeah, that's kind of the thing with Electron. And I feel like we've said this before, but it, there's pretty decent documentation, but it does require some digging to kind of put all the pieces together. And it requires a little bit of inside knowledge to know what exists and which one to use. Because like, just like in you know, if you go searching for an NPM package, you're going to, you're going to find hundreds, you know, that do the same thing. Right. And yeah. it's kind of like, wh- well, which one's the one, you know, we have it a little bit easy, I guess, in PHP, because for the most part, when you go search a package, I mean, maybe there's two, maybe, but normally it's kind of just like, this is, the, this is the package you use. Like you want to test like PHP unit, you know, like you want to, yeah. so, and yeah, that changes every now and then, of course, but it's one of those things where, with Electron, it was either like a really dated article and it was pretty obvious that that wasn't in use anymore, or there were like two or three of them and it's like, well, which one do I use? So having yeah. someone you could ask like, you know, Frake or Marcel who've built some, you know, Electron apps for the community was, was helpful, but you still kind of got to put all those pieces together. And to your point, you might even want to add a couple, you know, small things to it to kind of make it your own or make it fit our design or whatever. Yeah. And then like to do things properly, you've got to handle all the events. So if someone pushes the download button, but their internet drops out or something and it returns like a, that particular failure state, yeah, you've got to handle those scenarios. There's all these like, yeah, little things. Which like there was too. actually a bug in the library for that. I ended up finding because we, we added that we added oh, like yeah. a fail safe and it would fire even when the event downloaded. And yeah. I think it was something where like internally there was an issue because the app would fire an error because it was trying to quit while like a dialogue was up and they hadn't like figured out that race condition inside of the library code. So we ended up just kind of removing that like check. So, but anyway, so to kind of wrap that up, uh, basically we run NPM publish all, and this is a script that basically 
we took out of the documentation. And of course, we t- configured it a little bit to go to like S3 and stuff like that. But that's all yeah. documented and built in. Uh, and then once it's published up to S3, that process takes maybe four or five minutes to code sign all the different platforms to upload it. I kind of go off back to the Laravel.com website and I bump the download version number there and, and write a release note in those four minutes. And then I publish that when the NPM publish is done and everything's kind of manual as far as that goes. But like that all happens like in that four or five minutes. And then I go to, I, I personally, I just go to the download page, hit download for Mac and make sure it's, you know, the latest version. Yeah. I bring up my workbench application on my local machine that's installed and make sure I get the pop up and, and kind of reread the release notes. And if there's any issue, then I either do a republish with a new version number or I'll, uh, you know, tweak the JSON release notes that are out there. Yeah, nice. So the process of building it is is pretty automated, but the overall getting it actually out there is definitely takes some babysitting. Yeah, yeah. One other thing, quick thing I wanted to mention was you mentioned, you know, NPM run, what was it, publish all. Mm-hmm. The other one that, you know, if you're building an Electron app, you'll be using all the time is I think NPM run Electron serve. Yeah. And that's where you get like your hot module reloading. It opens the app for you. It opens up dev tools. And that's where, you know, you make changes to your code. And if it's the front end part, it just hot reloads it. If you change the background part, it automatically like kills the app and restarts it. So the dev process for it is pretty nice for like yeah. iterating quickly. It's been pretty fun to build and it didn't take that long to kind of get used to it. Again, I, I've done some app development, so maybe maybe I was a little more experienced there but I mean I I feel like you jumped into it as well and didn't even really do any electron stuff I know you were a little intimidated to the thought of it but I felt like you jumped in and hit the ground running yeah it ended up being very straightforward so yeah yeah I mean it's it's very javascripty like it you know the callbacks and the this I mean there's one more layer to hand between the front you know that runner and and then the background process but other than that like it's it's very javascripty yeah and for some apps, they probably wouldn't even need to use the background process very heavily at all, other than just for like opening the initial, like setting up the menus and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. If they're not doing a lot of, you know, shell calls and all that, then most of it's probably all on the front end. It's just a, basically a web page inside an app. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been fun to package it up. And I think, I think people like that immediacy. I know Freak's been messaging me every other day, you know, like, oh, I ran this task and this, and, you know, sometimes he's reporting a bug or whatever. Other times he's, you know, suggesting a feature, but that's cool, you know, and and that's what we wanted. We wanted to be able to kind of put the power of shift locally so it's a little more readily available than, again, going out. Not that it's that many steps, you know, it's just a couple of steps, but still having it local to be able to lose one-click builds makes it feel just a little more, like, real maybe or or readily available. I I don't know. It's like it's part of your toolkit rather than a service you rely on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like it yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a readily available tool. Like it's right it's right there ready to use. And and that's good all around for everyone. That's good for the developer because they get something they need like really quickly. It's it's right there. And then it's good for like shift because it stays in your tool belt. Like it's you you think of shift. Yeah. So a brand loyalty. <laughs> it's good. But yeah, yep. so anyway, that's uh I think that wraps us up on the workbench pretty well. I think so. Cool. Well, we're going to keep building tasks for it, of course. So if you ever think of, man, this would be cool if like shift could automate this, like 
little thing or whatever or, or something, especially if it's something you realize you're doing on multiple projects, you know, hit yeah. us up on Twitter, um, open an issue, whatever, whatever you want to do. But yeah, we're, we're going to keep building tasks for it, especially yep. with PHP 8.1 coming around the corner and then Laravel 9 eventually, you know, I guess in January, hopefully, fingers crossed. Yep. So. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, see right. you next time. See you next season. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash 42. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything.